Thank you, worship team, for sharing with us. And uh, it's so good to be able to worship the Lord, even when times are difficult and uncertain, we can trust God. And with that in mind, let's have a word of prayer as we get into God's word this morning and talk about the unstoppable church. Let's pray. Lord, thanks again for the opportunity to worship you. We pray, God, that your word would change us from the inside out. Lord, our hearts are ready to receive what you want to teach us. So we commit this time to you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Well, as far as I know, no one at Riverview Church has the coronavirus. I'm thankful for that. But we have to continue in prayer for this nation, for this world, for wisdom for our leaders, and for a quick end to this virus. But we're going to jump into the Word of God. And we've been talking about the unstoppable church. And, uh, you know, during this time when so many things are changing, it's exciting for me to see how the church can still continue. I talked about this last week when I was filming at home, that there have been many changes in behavior around the world. I talked about the run on toilet paper, right? I saw this picture, how Australians obviously, or apparently, protect themselves against the coronavirus by wrapping themselves from head to toe in toilet paper. Who, who can really understand why there's been a run on toilet paper like there has? I saw this meme, thought it was pretty telling of our, what's been happening in our world. In 2019, if you were laying around the house like this, you were a lazy bum. But in 2020, you stay at home like this, you're a responsible adult. And I would encourage every one of us to do what our leaders are telling us to do, to be safe, to shelter at home as much as possible, to wash our hands, to do all those things. But more than that, to pray for a resolution to what's happening in our world today. We want to be, even in these trials and these tribulations, we want to be the church that's unstoppable, that can still be a light for Jesus Christ. And my prayer would be that we would have that burden, that we would not be ashamed of Jesus Christ. And that's really the title of our study today as we look at the book of Acts, to not be ashamed. That's what I love about these disciples. In the early chapters of the book of Acts, they were unashamed. These were the same disciples that were hiding in upper rooms after the death of Jesus on the cross. But after the resurrection, they were transformed. They were not afraid of what man could do to them. They wanted to be a light for Jesus Christ because they found in Jesus uh, the reality of what life was all about, the power over death that de Jesus demonstrated to them when he rose again from the dead. I love to show maps, right? Because maps remind us these are real events that happen in the city of Jerusalem about 30 AD. And what we're reading today is probably just a few months, maybe even weeks, after the resurrection. The Romans, the Jewish leaders, could not produce the body of Jesus Christ. Why? Because he had risen from the dead. Because he was alive. And more than 500 people saw him alive. And the reality of that was spreading around Jerusalem. The church was the talk of the town. The reality of the power of Jesus Christ over death. The bottom line of our talk today is this. The church is growing in its unashamed boldness in the midst of persecution. Most people might think, oh, persecution is a bad thing. Persecution is not a good thing. But actually God used persecution to take the message of Jesus Christ and build within believers the boldness to stand up for Jesus. 
and also to drive those that were visiting Jerusalem during the time of Pentecost back to their hometowns with the gospel of Jesus. And persecution actually began to spread the gospel of Christ from person to person, town to town. And God was showing these believers that their boldness would produce eternal results that they would never regret. Church today, Riverview, my prayer would be that you would never regret taking a bold stand for Jesus Christ. That you would never regret that. Because you know ultimately, like these early believers did, that their boldness for Jesus Christ was making a difference for eternity. And that's what we want more than anything. We want to make a difference in eternity. We want people to know the amazing truth of who Jesus is, why he came, and what faith in Jesus can do for them. Let's recap a bit of what we have gone through in this series. In chapter 1, Jesus gives his final instructions, and then he ascends into heaven. Then in chapter 2, the birth of the church, as God takes up residence in the hearts and lives of believers, we have now become the temple of God. You don't have to go to a temple to meet with God. God resides in the temple of the human heart. The church is born. It's the vehicle. It's the conduit through which God will change the world. That's you and me. Peter, at the birth of the church, gives his first sermon. 3,000 people come to faith in Christ. Thousands place their faith in Jesus. Then after that, Peter heals a lame man, causes a stir in the temple. People gather together. Peter gives his second sermon. 5,000 people come to faith in Christ. And God, the Bible says, was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. What were they saved from? Their own sin. Our own rebellion against God. That's the good news of the gospel. We're being saved from our own rebellion against God. Our sin which separates us from God. But if we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, if we believe in our heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, Romans 10, 9 and 10 tells us, we will be saved, will be forgiven, adopted into the family of God. There will be an eternal transformation from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. But as you know, we talked about this already, the disciples, the apostles were arrested, put in jail. They were commanded not to teach in, in the name of Jesus anymore. But even in this first encounter, the apostles said, hey, we, ha we have to obey God rather than man. We have to obey God, what God has told us to do. And they have an opportunity to witness to these Jewish leaders, the Sanhedrin, 71 Jewish leaders but they did not receive the message. They released the apostles and the church rejoiced over the fact that they had been released. But the opposition and the persecution would begin to grow. We talked about last week, the sin of Ananias and Sapphira, the sin from within, that attacks weren't just coming from outside the church, but there was a sin within the church, which is something we have to be very concerned about, that each one of us would say, hey, if there's a problem in the church, may it not start with me. May my heart be pure before God. And may there not be a sin that would ever divide the church in my life. And today I want to talk about this, that after 
what happened to Ananias and Sapphira. The apostles continue to teach, but they're put in jail again, and there's a miraculous release from jail. An angel comes and leads them out of prison. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 5, verse 12. We're going to talk about what happens in the rest of chapter 5. It says this in Acts 5, verse 12. Hopefully you have your Bibles open. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. Now remember, the apostles were the 12 disciples that Jesus had who were now the leaders of the church. They were called the apostles. The word literally in the Greek means the sent out ones. They were sent out with the message of Jesus Christ. They were the leaders of the church. And these apostles were doing amazing miracles. There was a fantastic outpouring of God's power and spirit. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. That's right at the temple. That's where the the healing of the lame man occurred. None of the rest dared join them. There were people that were afraid to join them because they realized the persecution was increasing against the church. But here's the good news, verse 14. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. This amazing outpouring of the power of God that even Peter's shadow apparently was healing people by the power of God. Verse 16, the people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. I love the word all. God seemed to give these apostles the power to heal on demand, on command. When they wanted that person healed, that person was healed. An amazing outpouring of God's spirit. The church was motivated. Can you imagine being part of the church during this time, seeing those miracles as people gathered together? God was doing a special work at the beginning and the birth of the church. But persecution is about to come. Let's keep reading. But, verse 17 says, the high priest rose up and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, that Sanhedrin again, And they were filled with, here's a sad word, jealousy. They weren't excited about what God was doing. They were jealous, jealous that perhaps that power was not seen in their ministry, but seen in the lives of the apostles. Why? Because Jesus was the fulfillment of the Old Testament. Jesus fulfilled everything that was contained in the Old Testament. He fulfilled all the sacrifices, all the rituals. He was the fulfillment of it. That's the beauty of Jesus. That's why the Jewish leaders needed to understand that and understand what the Old Testament was pointing to, the coming of the Messiah. But they refused to believe. They were jealous. That kept them from believing. That became an obstacle for their belief. And you know, I've met people like that that have obstacles to believe in Jesus Christ. Very often it's pride. I'm sure that was a part of what the Jewish leaders were struggling with, their own pride, which led to jealousy. Jealousy that can keep us from really understanding who Jesus is. I've met people that I've concluded that no matter how much evidence there is for Jesus being the Messiah, for Jesus being the answer to the problem of the world today, they will not believe. They just won't follow it. 
They won't believe it. These Jewish leaders were jealous. They arrested the apostles and put them in public prison. But during the night, here it is, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go and stand in the temple and speak to all the people the words of this life. I love that sentence. Speak to the people the words of this life. When Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, right? It was more than just a way of life. It was being transformed from the kingdom of death to the kingdom of life, from darkness to light. Go back out and preach. This angel comes and miraculously opens the doors of the prison and they go back out into the temple in boldness, preaching again. Why? Because they knew they had God with them. They knew that Jesus had risen from the dead. They knew the power that God had to open prison doors and get them free. Now, I'm not saying that every time a believer is arrested that the prison doors will open up. We know that's not true. We know that around the world today, there are believers who are suffering in prison because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And for whatever reason, God allows that to continue to happen. That's why we need to pray for these believers around the world who are persecuted for their faith. But God was definitely showing the church, the early church, that God had power over every human leader, every human institution, that God's plans would not fail. I love that. We need to know that today, that in spite of this coronavirus and what's happening around the world, God is still in control that God's plans will not fail. God's plans will not fail. It says this, and when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. They didn't waste any time. They went back to the temple at daybreak and began to teach. See, here's what was happening. They were arrested, put in public prison. I'm sure the Jewish leaders were saying, hey, they think their God is strong? We're gonna show him them who's really strong. We're stronger than their God. That was foolish. That was foolish. Foolish to stand against the power of God. See, God turns their best move. They thought their best move was to arrest the apostles, but God turns their best move into a checkmate. If you've ever played chess with someone who's way better than you are, I have. I love the game of chess, but I've played with people that are much better than I am. And I'm moving my chess pieces to the best place that I think will give me an advantage. But when you play against amazing players, they're waiting for you to make that move because they are all set up for moves that will put me in checkmate. That's exactly what God was doing. These Jewish leaders thought this was the best move to stop the church, but all it did was display the power of God over human institutions and human power when the doors of that prison opened up. When the doors of that prison opened up. And church, as we spread the good news of Jesus Christ, Riverview, we need to know that our God is powerful. Our God is awesome. Even when the soldiers found out that they were back at the temple preaching, they were afraid to arrest them again because they were afraid they'd be stoned by the people if they would arrest the apostles because they had so much favor with the people of Jerusalem. Here's the first point I want to drive home today. It's this. God's power ultimately assures our victory. Church today, we need to know that we serve a powerful God. That's what God is showing the church in its early stages, that our God is powerful. 
Whatever God promises, he will fulfill it. Don't doubt it. And we know this, church, that uh, this life on this earth is very fragile. It amazes me that a virus that started in Wuhan, China, and I'm sure you've heard the stories that I've heard about uh, an animal market where this virus may have started. This virus has spread around the world. It's brought the most powerful economy, the economy of the United States, to its knees. And if anything, it should remind us how fragile our life is. The confidence that we have in human institutions, we should have that confidence no longer. Our confidence should not be in human power or wisdom. Our confidence is in the Lord. It's in God. And that's why it's so wise to take the word of God and apply it. God was trying to drive home to these Jewish leaders, don't stand in the way of God's plans, but their jealousy and their pride got in the way. We need to, Riverview Church, humble ourselves before God, to humble ourselves. Say, God, my life is yours. Not going to trust in human institutions. Not going to trust in human power or human resources or human wealth. My trust is in you, God. My trust is in you. And as the apostles go out and they teach at Solomon's portico, it seems to become a favorite place for the apostles to teach the people. They went boldly out at daybreak. They didn't waste a minute proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. Signs and wonders were happening. They were gathering together at the temple courtyard. People held them in high esteem. More and more people were coming to faith in Christ. There were amazing amounts of healing. God was giving them the victory in spite of the persecution, in spite of man's best efforts to stop it. And we need to understand today that ultimately God gives us the victory. What is the greatest fear people have? It's, it's, it's death. Greatest fear people have is death. And God gives us the answer to death. And if God can give us the answer to what typically is the greatest fear people have, then he can give us the answer to every other problem we will experience in our lives. We need to have confidence in our God, that our God is real. He's the God that created everything. I love reminding you all of this. 400 billion galaxies with these galaxies, each one having 400 billion or more stars in them. Our God is awesome. He's an awesome God. And everything he promises will come to pass. This life, it's just a breath. And then it's gone. This life is just a breath. And then it's gone. These Jewish leaders were foolishly trying to stand in the way of God's power. One of my favorite illustrations of how foolish it is to stand in the way of God's power is the story of a captain of a large ship. And it was a rainy, misty night. And through the rain and the mist, he saw some distant lights and he was concerned about a possible collision. So he brought his signalman to the bridge and he signaled through the rain and the mist, turn your course 10 degrees to the north. The lights signal back, turn your course 10 degrees to the south. 
This frustrated the captain. So he signaled, I am a captain. Turn your course 10 degrees to the north. The lights signal back, I am a seaman first class. Turn your course 10 degrees to the south. This infuriated the captain. So he signaled, I am a battleship. Turn your course 10 degrees to the north. The lights signal back. I am a lighthouse. Turn your course 10 degrees to the south. See, there are some things in life that even a battleship can't defeat. And there are people going through life thinking they are a big, bad battleship. But I want to tell you, there is a rock that is way too big to move. It's the God who created this universe. And when he tells us to humble himself, to humble ourselves, that we ought to humble ourselves. That God loves it when we humble ourselves. He opposes the prideful. He opposes those who are proud, but gives grace, the word says, to those who are humble. I love what 1 John 5, 4 says, for everyone who's been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Riverview, it's in the past tense. It has already overcome the world. We're just waiting for the final culmination of the victory that Jesus won when he rose again from the dead. Don't doubt it. Be confident in this life that we don't have to live with a spirit of fear, even when there's a virus all around us. If I catch it and I die, I go to be with a, the amazing God who died on the cross for me. I go to a better place, trusting that God will take care of my family, all those around me, this church. But to trust God, to trust God, that God ultimately gives us the victory through our faith in him, not our works, our faith. 1 Corinthians 15, 57 says this, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. He gave it to us. We didn't have to do anything for the victory. He won it for us. Our Lord Jesus Christ, the one that we love, the one that we worship, the one that we love and worship. Another verse that I love, Romans 8, 37 says, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. The Greek really puts it this way. We overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. It wasn't even a fair fight. Jesus won the victory on the cross and over death and the tomb, but it wasn't a fair fight. His power is awesome. He gives us the victory in our lives. Believe that today. You have the victory in Jesus Christ. You do not have to be afraid. Don't have to be afraid. God gives us the victory. Here's the second thing I see. It's this. People will foolishly seek to derail God's plans. There are people that will seek to derail God's plans. That's so foolish. That's what happens here in the text. As these Jewish leaders try to stop what God is doing. They arrest them, put them in public prison. The angel comes. Let's read the text. It says this. Now when the high priest came, those who were with them, they called together the council, the Sanhedrin, and all the senate of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. They're like, hey, uh, bring those apostles that are in prison. Bring them over here. We want to give them a lesson or two. 
But when the officers came, they did not find them in prison. So they returned and reported, we found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. This was a miraculous release. Somehow the angel brought the apostles out of prison right past the guards and the guards never even realized it. Again, demonstrating the awesome power of God to do whatever he says he's going to do. Verse 24, now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed, like what is going on? Wondering what this would come to. Verse 25, and someone came and told them, look, the men whom you put in prison, they didn't get away too far. They're standing right here in the temple teaching the people the same Apostles you arrested are back out in the temple teaching. They're not intimidated by you because they have God on their side. They're not intimidated. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, not by force. Why? Because they were afraid of being stoned by the people. When they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the chief priest questioned them saying, we strictly charged you not to teach in this name, they wouldn't even say the name of Jesus. Oh, we don't want you to teach in this name. Yet, here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. What they were upset about too was Peter's reference to the fact that the Jews had offered Jesus to the Romans to be crucified. Now, before we delve too far into that, we need to remind ourselves that it was our sin that led Jesus to the cross. We're not to lay too much blame on the Jews and the Romans. Like Jesus cried out on the cross, Lord, forgive them. They know not what they do. They didn't understand what they were doing. The hardness of their hearts, their pride, their jealousy was keeping them from understanding God's awesome plan. But we ought to remind ourselves, it was my sin that put Jesus on the cross. And what I love here in the text When Peter says, the God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging on a tree. Verse 31, God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior. He became the leader of the church, the savior of the world. Why? To give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Hey, Jewish leaders, yeah, you put Jesus on the cross, but there's forgiveness God has a way of forgiving. I hope that's great news for you. It's great news for me. God's forgiveness is awesome. He gives it to the Jewish leaders. Come to Jesus and find repentance and forgiveness. This new way of life. You're no longer burdened by the law, which only highlights how far we've fallen from God's holiness and his grace. The law should be a tutor to bring us to Jesus. And our need for Christ. It says this in verse 32, and we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God had given to those who obey him. And when they heard this, the Jewish leaders, they repented of their sin and followed Jesus. Is that what happened? No, sadly, when they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill the apostles. They were infuriated. They wanted the apostles dead. But a Pharisee in the council by the name of Gamaliel, 
a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. Hey, get these guys out of the room. I want to talk to the council. So they do that. And he said to them, men of Israel, take care what you're about to do with these men. For before these days, Thutis rose up, claiming to be somebody. And a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away from some of the people. After him, he too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men. Let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. If it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. See, the Jewish leaders were infuriated. They wanted to stop the plan of God. They brought them in. They told them not to teach in this name, this name of Jesus. That don't blame us for his death on the cross. But Peter in Acts 5.29 says this, we must obey God rather than men. They say the same thing again. We have to obey God. See, they were not people pleasers. They were God pleasers. This is really important for believers to take hold of in their lives. Do not be a people pleaser. A people pleaser is when the opinion of people around you becomes more important to you than the opinion of God about your life. The apostles were not people pleasers. We have to obey God. That means elevating the truth of God's word in your heart. Saying, I'm going to follow the word of God. I'm going to hold my head high as a believer in Jesus Christ. I'm going to have this amazing, unashamed boldness of being a follower of Jesus. If someone asks me, hey, you believe in Jesus, that guy who lived 2,000 years ago? Yeah, yeah, I do. You don't? Of course I do. The evidence is overwhelming that Jesus' life had an incredible impact on this world. No other life like him. That's why I believe in Jesus. I can't believe you don't. I can't believe you're foolish enough not to believe in Jesus. Unashamed boldness. Young people in high school today, junior hires, unashamed boldness. Be bold for Jesus Christ. People might not like your boldness, but they'll respect you for it. They'll respect you for it. I had a friend in high school, played on the basketball team with me. And he would make fun of my faith all the time. When everybody else after the game was going to party somewhere and do drugs and alcohol, I wouldn't go. And there he'd be like, oh, Mel, you're going home to have your milk and cookies? And that was just a mild version of some of the things that he would say to me about my faith. And I remember when I graduated from high school, his name was Bruce. I thought Bruce couldn't stand me. thought he didn't like what I believed in at all. Made fun of me, mocked me. But I remember he came up to me at the last day of high school and said, hey, Mel, can I, can I have your yearbook? I said, sure. I thought for sure Bruce was going to write something mocking about my faith in the yearbook. So I kind of reluctantly gave it to him. But he simply wrote this. He said, Mel, I just want you to know, out of all the friends I have in high school, I respect you the most. I was shocked to read that. And I don't share that with you to pat myself on the back. If there's anything that good that came out of my testimony, man, it's all from the Lord. 
all from him. But I want you to know that there are people that they won't tell you this to your face. They won't say it to you. But your boldness and love for Jesus Christ down deep will be something that will convict their hearts. Why? Because God has written the knowledge of himself in every human heart. And you might think no one is noticing. You might think everyone's looking down on you. But there will be people impacted by your testimony. I was shocked to read what I did in my yearbook. That somehow, man, God can use a high school kid like me to maybe impact a person like Bruce. Don't be a people pleaser. Stand up for Jesus Christ. College students today, young adults, young couples, take a bold stand for Jesus Christ. You will not regret it. Seniors, don't minimize the impact you can make for Jesus Christ as a senior, a person who's lived your life on this earth for many years and yet you have found Jesus to be faithful. That's a powerful testimony. And even though the Jews had killed Jesus, I love that Peter gives them the opportunity for forgiveness. There's forgiveness in Christ. That's the good news of the gospel. There's no sin so great that it cannot be covered by the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. Gamaliel's advice pretty much came down to this. Hey, there have been uh, other failures in the past. Thutis, and this is the only time we read of Thutis, whether it's in the Word of God or in any other historical writing, only here in the Bible. And the second failure was this Judas the Galilean. And there are historical references to him as a person who would not honor Caesar as the emperor. He too was killed in his rebellion. Gamaliel's advice was simply this. If it is of man, it will fail. If it is of God, you cannot stop it. Well, here's the reality. The church is of God. May every one of us who are part of the universal church know that the church is of God. There is no plan B. Like Jesus said, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You cannot stop it. Gamaliel, you're right. If it's of man, it will die off. It will have minimal impact. But if it is of God, you cannot stop it. And you don't want to be found opposing God. You don't want to be found opposing God. I don't know if you're like me, but this time has been kind of a refreshing time with my family. As we've been sheltering at home, uh, we've played every board game probably known to man. Monopoly. I never thought I would see the Monopoly board a- out as much as I've, I've seen it the last couple of weeks. And by the way, here's a strategy to win Monopoly. Get Park Place and Boardwalk and put hotels on them. You will win. Get a Monopoly on those two sites. You'll win. I know from playing Monopoly and every other board game. We're playing basketball in the driveway with my boys In fact, yesterday I just had a push-up contest with my 14-year-old son, and I'm not going to tell you who won that. But we're doing all these things together as a family. And you know what I'm realizing? How God can even take something like this and remind me how good it is to have the priorities that God's Word has for me in my life. 
God comes first, then my family, then church, then my job, then what's happening in this world. Those are God's priority. God first, then my family. Pour myself into my family, my marriage, to do life God's way. And we're all commenting as we're having dinner together like we haven't for weeks and months because my son has choir practice over here and my other son has basketball practice over there and there's an activity at church going on over here. But we've been sitting together and having dinner almost every night. And these times have been so rich as we talk together, read the word together as a family and just get back to the basics and see the wisdom of God's word. Church, I want to challenge us all to make the most of this time. To get deeper and spend time reading the Word of God. And by the way, I'm going to share a few movies that we have watched that have really impacted our family. I'll give you one right now. I'd love for you to email me movies that you've watched that have lifted your spirit. Woodlawn. Woodlawn, great movie, true story about Tony Nathan, Jeff Rutledge, and how they impacted their high school for Christ. Well done, great acting on Netflix. Watch it with your family. Woodlawn, that's number one. The other one would be The Case for Christ, the true story of Lee Strobel. That's another great movie. Those are two for you. Love to hear from you, movies you've watched. Uh, The other day I watched a documentary on the Shroud of Turin with my son, the topic came up in a conversation with him and I, I said have you seen the evidence for the shroud of Turin he's like no I, I pulled it up on YouTube and watched a, de- a demonstration a presentation that had been done recently all about the evidence for the shroud of Turin it's really amazing use this time wisely read the word of God fellowship together with your family connect with one another spend more time in prayer this is a very precious time for us in spite of the tragedy around the world to make the most of it to not just sit in our homes in fear and waste these opportunities God has given to us here's the last thing as I close it's this you are most impactful when you rejoice at the honor of being dishonored Gamaliel gave the Jewish leaders this advice so they said you know what we're going to take that advice we're going to follow it but this is what they do And when they had called in the apostles, verse 40, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. They beat them. Oh, yeah, Gamaliel, good advice, but bring those guys in here so we can beat them a little bit. They were beaten for their faith in Christ. Painful beating. We shouldn't read over that too quickly. But this is what they did in verse 41. They left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. They rejoiced that they were worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And by the way, God has an amazing way of taking quote-unquote dishonor and making it something very honorable. And every day, verse 42, in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus Christ from house to house and in the temple. 
just like we do here, right? The big group meeting on Sunday morning are home groups from house to house. They kept on telling people about Jesus. They had to do what God told them to do. It didn't matter if they were beaten. See, the dishonor, quote-unquote, they received from the Jews became a badge of honor for them. They rejoiced that they were worthy to suffer for Christ. Do you have that same attitude? Now, we always want to speak the truth in love. We want to be great examples of what it means to follow Christ. But if in being a great example, if we're those people who can love the unlovable, reach out to people and help them with their needs, if we can be that church and still be dishonored by the world, which is happening, by the way, every day around our country, we need to wear that quote-unquote dishonor as a badge of honor, that we are considered worthy to suffer for Christ and to suffer like Jesus did. So every time we suffer, it should remind us how much Jesus suffered for us. Church, Riverview Church, miss you. Can't wait to be together with you again. Looking forward to our time when we can worship together in this place. But let's take the example of these early Christians and live it out in our lives. Hold your head high, believers in Christ. Know that God is with you. Nothing can stop God's plans. Nothing can stop it. And people are foolish for trying to derail God's plans. But if you ever suffer for being a light for Jesus Christ, wear that as a badge of honor because it identifies you with the suffering that Jesus experienced for us. And yet he considered it all joy. Let's close in prayer. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the example of these early believers. Thank you, Jesus, for their boldness in the midst of persecution. Lord, I pray the same for Riverview Church. May we be bold about our faith in you. May we trust you that you are the God that's already given us the victory when Jesus rose again from the dead. We believe it. And it's changed our lives, Jesus. This is all for you, Jesus. And we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Hey, we're going to give you a link on the website, a Sanctus Real song called Unstoppable God. Love you to click on that link and watch that song just as a closing meditation of this unstoppable God that we serve. Love you, Riverview Church. Live this week all for him. God bless.